Good morning again. Before we uh, jump into the word this morning, I thought um, thought I'd share a couple of church jokes with you. During a Sunday school lesson, a child learned about how God created human beings. The child became especially uh, especially focused when the teacher explained how Eve was created from Adam's ribs. Later in the week, the boy's mother saw him lying down on the floor, so she asked him what was wrong, and his reply was priceless. Mom, I have pain in my side. I think I'm getting a wife. (laughs) How about this one? What kind of man was Boaz before he married Ruth? He was ruthless. And one more, and then we'll get serious. A kindergarten teacher was observing her classroom as the children drew pictures. The teacher would occasionally walk around and see each child's artwork. As she approached one little girl who was especially hard, working hard, she asked what the drawing was. The little girl said, I'm drawing God. But sweetie, the teacher replied, no one actually knows what God looks like. Automatically, the little girl continued drawing and said, well, they're about to find out. <laughs> Awesome. Am I, am I still ringing? Is it okay? Just a little bit? Okay. Well, um, so for those of you visiting, um, we're glad that you're here this morning. My name is Chris Davis. Um, I am uh, the worship leader here at Newbury Church um, and part of the, uh, got to be part of the rotation uh, for preaching Colossians. About two or three years ago, uh, when uh, Pastor Michael said that we'd eventually do Colossians, I was like, please, can I participate in that series? Because uh, the book of Colossians is my favorite, um, is my favorite book uh, of the Bible, and um, I love it. Um, it played a very special part in my life that maybe I'll share in a little bit. Um, and um, yeah, so I'm excited to, to be able to participate in this series. Um, and uh, just so you know, for those that are visiting, our, pa- our lead pastor, uh, Pastor Michael and his wife, Aaliyah, they're on sabbatical right now. Uh, they're almost about halfway through that, uh, just taking about two months to rest and recruit and, um, you know, just really, just really have some time uh, for themselves. So, um, so we're rotating uh, through our pastors um, and then me. I'm not one of the pastors, by the way. I uh, just thought I'd make that. <laughs> for those of you that know, you know. Um, um, so, um, so yeah, so I, I get to participate in the series on Colossians. Um, you know, one thing that as we have a few weeks left in this series, um, one thing I would recommend you do, a practical uh, thing to do uh, with reading scripture is Colossians is one of those books where you can sit down and read it in probably 25 minutes. Um, and so it, it, it's really helpful, like when we're going through scripture, that you get the full context and the full picture of what we're talking about. Um, so I would encourage you, I would even challenge you these next several weeks as we still keep going through the book, maybe challenge yourself to read it once each week. Okay, just sit down and read it. It'll take 25, 30 minutes. Um, but that's always helpful uh, for me for understanding scripture and really getting to know scripture. Um, and I, I assure you that the Holy Spirit will um, highlight things, not only as you read, but as we preach through it, um, it it'll be good. So with that, um, with that, um, if you would stand, we're going to read uh, Colossians 2, uh, verses 16 through 15. 
We stand uh, to honor uh, God's word. So Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 through 15. Says, says this, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, being rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, and overflowing with gratitude. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world, rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And you have been filled with him who is the head over every ruler and authority. You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands, but putting off of the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead." And when you were dead in trespasses and in the circumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of death with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him." Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we recognize that your word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. That your word, God, that every word that you have spoken and, and, and has been written down is, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for correction, for, for encouragement. God, we just pray this morning, Lord, that you would teach us, Holy Spirit, as we, as we look at the word that you inspired, God. God, I pray that our hearts and our minds would be open, God, to your grace. And Lord Jesus, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I will say, by the way, Adam, thank you for sharing that. You could have, just, you could have preached for me this morning. That would, have been, well, that would have been good, but I appreciate you sharing that. But as I mentioned, um, the book of Colossians is, is, a, is, a, a, is my favorite book. And it played a special part in my life um, several years ago, um, around 2000, when were we in Pittsburgh? 2007? 2007 to 2010, my wife and I were part of a church. Um, it was a non-denominational church. And um, we had grown up in the Pentecostal charismatic vein of Christianity. And um, we were part of, then part of a non-denominational church that was not uh, necessarily charismatic or anything like that. And we went through a season that you could maybe call it deconstruction. It wasn't necessarily deconstructing our faith, but deconstructing a lot of the extras that we have piled on to the faith. And um, one, of, one of the pastors that I followed at the time, he preached through Colossians. And what that did for my heart was it helped refocus back on the priority of our faith and who our faith is in, and that's Jesus, right? So this, this book is, 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 is super special to me uh, in that it, it has played a, a, a very important role and part in setting my gaze upon Jesus. Um, our series uh, 
through the book of Colossians has been about the glorious, our glorious hope. So this morning we're going to discuss refocusing on our glorious hope, Jesus. So as we've seen over the last several weeks, Paul is turning the church in Colossae's focus back to Jesus. There were, there were two main heresies that were trying to take hold, and they had already taken a hold somewhat, which, and those were Gnosticism and asceticism. This section of scripture we're looking at today, we are going to consider how Paul directly addressed those two beliefs. Now, before we go further, it's easy to hear the big words of Gnosticism and asceticism and us sit here and be like, cool, those battles are fought, true doctrine won out, but the reality is we have heresies that are trying to invade the church in 2022. So what we must do with this passage of scripture is not only understand the context and see how Paul was addressing these heresies, but then also apply the truths and the principles to what we might be facing here in 2022. So as we dive into this passage, I think it's important to understand how this book is set up. It's not a mistake that Paul gives us what he does in chapter 1. Okay, If you guys remember a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Mike uh, read the section, uh, pa- preached on the section in chapter 1 where it's referred to as, as a hymn about Jesus, basically. And I'm going to, I'm going to read uh, chapter 1, verse 15 through 22 again, just to set some, a little bit of context for us as we uh, consider this other passage. So he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth. Whew, thank you, Jesus. The invisible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. I don't know what translation, one translation says that he might be preeminent. I love that word, preeminent. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, two more verses. That's about Jesus. Now, listen what Paul says about us. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body, through his death, to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. Wow. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. So, as we dive into this section in chapter 2, let's come at it with the perspective of who Jesus is, right, and who we are in Christ, okay? Let's put that into focus. So, as we focus on our glorious hope this morning, the first thing I want to encourage us to see is Uh, The refocus on truth. The refocus on truth. Pastor Mike, I have three points. So I'm a charismatic at heart, but you know, it's the Baptist church, so I thought I'd have a good Baptist sermon. Love you, Pastor Mike. Refocus on truth. Okay? Paul tells us to be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than 
Christ. Okay? For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled with him who is the head over every ruler and authority. Paul sounds like a broken record, doesn't he? He sounds like he's repeating exactly what he said in chapter 1, but there's a reason for that, because he's trying to drive this point home about Jesus. In these few verses, Paul is directly addressing the heresy of Gnosticism, okay? So what is Gnosticism? That's one of those funny English words that has a G in the front, so I want to say Gnosticism, right? You guys remember uh, VeggieTales? And the, the, one, the one character says the gnat. But anyways, that was free, apparently. No. Um, that wasn't in my notes, by the way. <laughs> um, so yeah, so here Paul is addressing the heresy of Gnosticism. So um, as I was studying, I was like, man, I just, you know, I'd like to find a very easy definition of what Gnosticism is. So we're all on the same page. Okay, so if you went through seminary, just put your fingers in your ears for a minute, okay? So I looked up Gnosticism on dummies.com, okay? So this is Gnosticism for dummies. I'm not calling you dummies. I'm just, it was just an easy definition that helped me. Here we go. Gnostics believed that the material world was evil and the only way to salvation was through discovering secrets of the universe, This belief flew in the face of Judaism and Christianity, both of which believed that God created the world and that it was good and not evil. Keeping keeping Revelation secret wasn't meant to be, rather it should be shared openly with others. So one one of the main beliefs of Gnostics was in order to receive salvation, you had to discover through knowledge the secrets of the universe. And one of the other big points of Gnosticism was that Jesus was not God, but he was one of many lowercase g gods, that he was one of many deities, okay? So Gnosticism, special knowledge, Gnosticism, Jesus is just a deity. He's just one of many. So Paul is challenging the believers in Colossae to refocus on the truth of who Jesus is. This heresy was trying to rob Jesus of both his physical humanity and his deity, as well as it was trying to teach that knowledge was what led to salvation. Paul lets us know that God himself came down and put on human flesh. Okay, church, your God, our God, came down and put on human flesh. Okay, why he's pointing this out is that the physical world in and of itself is not bad. It was created by God, and he proclaimed it to be good. And as Paul shared with us in Colossians 1, everything was created through who? Jesus. The very reason Paul is stating these things is to declare that not only was Jesus human, real flesh, but he was and is God. We have a God who not only hung the stars in their place, not only spoke and everything came to being, not only formed us humans out of dust, but he came down and he put on that decorated dust. Thank you, right? Uh, My mind just went blank. Pastor Curtis. Curtis. Thank you, Pastor Curtis. He came down and put on decorated dust and he lived life as we did. He experienced life and lived it perfectly so that he could die in our place, a sinless death, paying the price for our sins. 
Thank you, God, for Jesus. So what is Paul doing here? He's refocusing the church in Colossae on the truth about Jesus. Anytime we hear a philosophy or a theological theory, it's important to stop and consider what it says either directly or indirectly about Jesus and who he is. Anytime you see an argument on Twitter, anytime you are sitting in a classroom, anytime you hear a sermon, anytime you read a book, and it's some type of theological or philosophical stuff, okay, we, it's important to stop and consider what does this say about Jesus, either directly or indirectly, okay? This is a principle that we can get from this passage. It's interesting that most heretical doctrines revolve around Jesus. Most heretical doctrines revolve around Jesus. This is important for us to do in the 21st century as well. While we may not be struggling with some of the same heresies that the first century church did, we still have hearts that are prone to wonder and a gaze that is prone to drift. Jesus, help us. We need to be reminded to refocus on Jesus just as Paul was challenging the New Testament church in Colossae. Interestingly enough, it seems a bit of Gnosticism has actually crept into the church today. Let me, let me show you this. A recent LifeWay study uh, survey was conducted with evangelical Christians here in the U.S. They asked several questions about individual beliefs, things like, who makes up the Trinity? Can God sin? And the resurrection of Jesus... But the one, one of the ones that really took me back was this. Was uh, Jesus, this is basically a yes or no question, I believe it was. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. 53% of the people questioned said that was a true statement. That Jesus was a good teacher, knowledge, but he was not God. Capital G. That's Gnosticism. Church, that's part of the premise of Gnosticism. Jesus brought great knowledge, and he was simply one of many deities. We have to be careful. We have to, we have to be cautious in this. This was a struggle for the early church, and it appears it's a struggle for us today as well. So there's three quick reasons I want to give you that I believe it's important for us to understand that Jesus is God. First off, we, need a, we needed a perfect sacrifice to pay the price for our sin. Bruce Ware says this, uh, Therefore, the only one who can save us from our sin is the sinless God-man, one who is fully man as we are, but one who is fully God, so that his payment for our sin can satisfy the infinite demands of God's justice against our sin. So it's important for us to believe and understand that Jesus is God because we needed a perfect sacrifice. Secondly, it's important to understand that Jesus was God because Jesus came to personally identify us and show us what God looks like, okay? Pastor Lance quoted uh, Pastor Tony Evans a couple of weeks ago. If you, uh, what, what did you say? If you see Jesus, he explained God. He explains God. And uh, Paul actually said it in verse 15 of chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God. So if you want to know what God looks like, if you want to know what God sounds like, if you want to know what God, how God operates in, in, in our perspective, we look to Jesus. This is why it's important to understand that he was God. And thirdly, God himself stepped down into our timeline. 
He put on flesh and faced every temptation that we did, yet he did not sin. It's important to understand that Jesus was and is God, but it, because it shows he has great compassion and empathy for us humans. The song, No, Not One, comes to mind. Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. So it's important that we understand that Jesus is God. It's important we understand the truth about Jesus. He's challenging us to refocus on that truth. So what are some other truths about Jesus? He wasn't his God. He was and is the Son of God. While he was here, he healed the sick, he raised the dead, he cleansed the leper, he forgave the condemned and condemned the self-righteous, he was a servant of all, he lived a sinless life and he died a criminal's death, he rose again on the third day, currently he is seated at the right hand of God, all rulers and authorities are under his control, and one day he will return to take us home and he will reign forever as King of kings and the Lord of lords. That is who our Jesus is. That is who our God is. And that's just a small taste of who he is. We are inundated. You know, every day we're inundated with philosophies and ideas and theories and beliefs. So my challenge this morning to us is this. Filter them all through the lens of Jesus. Refocus on those things through the lens of Jesus. If it doesn't look like Jesus, if it doesn't smell like Jesus, if it doesn't walk like Jesus, it doesn't taste like Jesus, it ain't Jesus. So refocus on the truth of Jesus. Secondly, verse 11 and 12. You are also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands, but putting off the body of flesh and the circumcision of Christ when you were buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. So not only do we need to refocus on the truth about who Jesus is, but secondly, we need to refocus on the grace of Jesus. Refocus on the grace of Jesus. So the first few verses we read was addressing Gnosticism, okay? The second section that we're about to, that we're looking at, it was addressing something called asceticism. Now, there was no asceticism for dummies. I looked. Um, but a basic uh, definition uh, of asceticism is this, severe self-discipline and avoidance of all forms of indulgence, typically for religious reasons. So think you know, think like serious level fasting and, and you know, how some people, they, they've over, over history, they've beat themselves and they abstain for, from, from certain things um, almost to a, um, a really a self-deprecating level, okay? So not only was the church being infiltrated with people who were teaching Gnosticism, but there were also those that were trying to enforce an aesthetic form of faith. That's not the right word that I just used. An ascetic form of faith. There we go. Aesthetic is like decorations, right? Um, I appreciate that, Ben. Um, So basically, these people were adding to the gospel, 
right? That's what they were doing. They were saying, if you don't abstain from this, if you don't abstain from this, if you don't get circumcised, if you don't do this, if you don't do that, then you cannot be a Christian or you are not saved, okay? They were adding to the gospel. If you don't do X, then you are not a real question or Christian, excuse me. And it's interesting that the very thing that Paul addresses is circumcision, As you may be aware, circumcision was a big deal to the Jewish people as it was a sign of the covenant between Abraham and God. It was a practice that every male in Judaism participated in. And the problem was there were were people being converted to Christianity that were not Jews to begin with. Okay, so there was was Gentiles, so non-Jewish people were being converted to Christianity. And there were Jewish families that had converted to Christianity that were beginning to have babies. Okay? So this group of people were teaching that these people that were converting needed to be circumcised as well. But what does Paul tell us? He says, when we became believers in Jesus Christ, we died to that old man. Our hearts were circumcised. A physical act is not required. Why? Because Jesus fulfilled that physical act on the cross. He was cut off so that we could be brought in. This is our Jesus. So gracious, so kind, so merciful. Jesus himself was rejected so that we could be accepted. All based solely on his grace. So what does that mean for us today? It means let's refocus on the grace of God. There is nothing that you can do now to make God love you more. Nothing. Nothing. There is no cutting away of your flesh that will get God's attention and be more happy with you. Beating yourself won't do it. Following extra rules that we've added to the gospel won't do it. We are saved solely because of Jesus and the perfect works that he did. Paul tells the church in Ephesians chapter 2, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift It is a gift of God, not from works, so that no one can boast. There is absolutely nothing that you can do to earn God's favor, God's salvation, God's love. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Because if there was, then Jesus' death was pointless. Okay? For you are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. So in other words, we did diddly squat when it comes to our salvation, right? Diddly squat. You can quote me on that if you want to, or you don't have to. Diddly squat. All those Girl Scout cookies you sold, all those grannies you walked across the street, all those dollars you put in the offering plate, even all those sins that you maybe abstained from, none of that did anything to earn your way to heaven. It's funny, uh, Hannah, I forgot to tell you this story, but um, I was taking, so my wife and I, we were out um, uh, on a trip this last week uh, celebrating our wedding anniversary, 20 years, Woohoo! thank you, Jesus. Um, and um, so Sister Palmer and, and, and Charles uh, took care of our babies for a couple of days, and then my wife's sister came and took care of them the rest of the time. And I was, so Friday morning, gotten back, and I was taking Enoch and Phoebe to, to school. And um, somehow the topic of getting to heaven came up. I don't remember who mentioned it. And, um, and 
one of my children said, yeah, you have, to, you have to be good to get to heaven. I said, hold up, hold up, you know, and I explained. I was like, no, the way to get to heaven is to love Jesus. We trust in him. And I said, there's nothing good you can do to get, get to heaven. And one of my children said, what? I was good all this week and it counted for nothing. <laughs> I was like, yep. I was like, we're good because we love Jesus, right? We, we act, the, the, the way we act should be good out of fruit, out of loving our Savior, out of loving Jesus, not in order to gain his attention or his favor. So here's a pro tip for you. There is absolutely nothing, zero zilch nada, that you can do to bank enough points in order to earn your way into heaven or get back, to God, get back in God's good graces. You see, when we sin, we're tempted to cover our shame by doing good to offset it. But in reality, Jesus was and is that goodness that offsets our sin. We simply must give our sin and our shame to him. You see, the challenge from Paul is this. Refocus on the grace of Jesus. He is the one that did the work. He is the one that does the saving. He is the one that will continue to save. And he is the one that will keep you. Refocus on his grace for your life and rest in him. So not only do we refocus on this grace for our own lives, but I want to challenge you this morning as well to refocus this grace, refocus on grace and extend that same grace to others. Maybe we're good individually with Jesus. Maybe we understand his grace for our life. But then when it comes to others, maybe, maybe we can be harsh and critical and quick to shame and accuse or, or judge. This is just as bad, if actually not worse. When we take this type of position, we become like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the very ones that Jesus condemned. We become like those in the Colossae church who were preaching asceticism. So how do we adequately do this? How do we know how to extend grace? We look to Jesus. How did Jesus extend grace? First off, consider the woman caught in the act of adultery in John 8. She obviously had sinned. She had been caught in the very act of sinning. What was Jesus' response? You sinner? You did what? You should be ashamed of yourself. Give me that stone. No. What was his response? Right? After he had dealt with the, the, the religious leaders, the folks that had caught, caught them, and it makes you wonder how they caught them, but that's, that's a whole nother. We won't go there. Um, but after he dealt with them, right, his, the, the first thing he said to her was, where are those that condemn you? Where are they? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You see, that's what grace does right? Grace teaches us to walk away from sin. It gives us that ability to do so, and then it teaches us to do so. So one way, so we look to Jesus with how he extends grace. Second, another example is consider the soldier sitting at the foot of the cross of Jesus. Jesus is hanging there, right? He's hanging there. He's been beaten. He's been mocked. He's been whipped. He's been spat upon. He's got the crown of thorns. He's got the nails in his hands. Talk about a painful experience. And if you're a parent in here, you know there's times where it's hard to be nice when your kids are being mean to you, right? But here we have Jesus, the Son of God, did not deserve any of this. What does he say to the Father? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
Jesus was extending grace. He was extending grace. And what was the guard's response? Surely he was the son of God. You see, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And in that repentance, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We don't have to do stuff, right, in order to get that cleansing, in order to get that, that freedom and that, that release from that sin. Church, understand the goodness of God's grace for you and for others this morning. Let's refocus on that grace that ever abounds in our Lord Jesus. So Paul's teaching us to refocus our, our, our gaze on the truth of Jesus, to refocus on his grace, and thirdly, to refocus on freedom. To refocus on freedom. And we're going to read verses 13 through 15. It says, And when you were dead in trespasses and in circumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of death with its, with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. So Paul is reminding the church in Colossae about their freedom, okay? He's reminding them about their freedom. He's establishing that they don't need special knowledge and to hate the natural realm in order to be free. So he's saying, guys, you don't need gnosticism, right? He's also declaring that asceticism, extreme self-denial and legalism will not save you. But only what Jesus has done will be what brings freedom and forgiveness of sin in our lives. You see, this point is really helpful because a lot of times when it comes to sin, we do the very things that the first two points touch on, right? We seek self-help books, knowledge. We read blogs, knowledge. We look at uh, influences on our Instagram feed, knowledge. What are the tips and tricks to help me overcome my sin? We think filling ourselves with special knowledge will do it, but in reality, the only help we need is Jesus. Understanding who he is, what he's done, and how that affects our lives. That is the knowledge we need. Now hear me out. I'm not saying, say for instance, maybe, maybe pornography is a thing for you. I'm not saying that having an accountability partner and putting filters in place, I'm not saying that that's not helpful. It is. Okay, but that's not what saves, right? That's not what brings ultimate freedom. Because as soon as those things go away, right, your, hon your heart is still prone to wonder, right? So your heart needs the help of and freedom of Jesus. Another, uh, another, another reason we need to focus on, refocus on this freedom that we have in Jesus, we seek to make rules and boundaries around our hearts, Actually, I just said this, but I'll read it. Here we go. When in reality, it's our heart that is the problem in the first place. We can do, 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 but if our hearts are not transformed according to Jesus and then submitted to him and who he is, spiritual practices, rules, and habits will do nothing. Okay. So what is this freedom that Jesus has bought for us? 
It is freedom from sin and shame. If you are in Christ, you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God's dear son. He has erased the debt because uh, we, we owed because of our sin. If you are in Christ, his perfect love has dealt with your sin and you will stand before him blameless. You know, that, the, the passage uh, that gets quoted often that perfect love casts out fear if you go and look in, in, the, in John's uh, epistle, I think it's John 1, or 1 John, um, if you go and actually read it, he's talking about judgment and setting before the judgment seat. So what he's saying is, is that perfect love, when it casts out fear, it's actually fear of judgment. So if you are in Christ, you have received that perfect love from Jesus, and there is no fear of judgment. Let that sink in for a moment. He erased the debt we owe because of our sin. If you are in Christ, his perfect love has dealt with your sin and you will stand before him blameless. There's nothing else you can do in order to improve or add to that blamelessness. Nothing. Thank you, Jesus. So in conclusion, we've looked at this passage this morning. The challenge to refocus on the truth of who Jesus is, to refocus on grace and to refocus on our freedom in Christ. So as we've walked through this passage, we have an opportunity to respond to the word of God. You may be thinking, well, I'm not looking for any mystical knowledge to save me, or I'm not extremely self-denying myself. So then my question is, well, are you looking to something else other than Jesus to save you? Are you looking to a better job? Are you looking to a, a president? Are you looking to a husband or a wife? Even as believers in Jesus, we can fall prey to these temptations and we need to refocus our gaze upon our glorious hope, which is Jesus. You see, our response is actually the first two verses of this, this passage, and I save those two for last. In verse 6 and 7, Paul says this, So then just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Church, Paul is just saying, find it all in Jesus. Walk in Jesus. Saturate your heart and mind with Jesus. He is the answer. So this morning... I leave you with this challenge. Refocus on the truth about Jesus, the grace he gives, and the freedom that he has bestowed upon us. Maybe you're here this morning and if you've never received Christ Jesus as Lord, as Paul just mentioned in verse 6. Maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Christ. Today is your day to do that. I would encourage you to turn your eyes upon Jesus. See how God sent his only son to pay the price for your sin and as Paul mentions, receive Jesus. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for Scripture, Lord. We thank you that you've given us these words to challenge, to encourage, to inspire, even to rebuke at times, Father. I pray this morning that as we consider the truth of who you are, Jesus, as we consider your grace, as we consider your freedom, oh, Holy Spirit, would you help us? 
Would you help us, Lord, to focus on Jesus? Would you help us to return our gaze to that one thing? Would you help us to set our eyes on the Son of God who is seated at the right hand of God the Father? Would you help us to walk in that reality of who Jesus is, of his grace and his freedom? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.